This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Folks, look, I'm, I'm speaking to you on the radio right now. I have no reasonable expectation that anything I say here is uh, private. I'm, I'm blasting it out for, for everybody to, to hear. You know, same thing if I, I tweet something. Uh, I'm, I'm putting it out there, and people are going to see it, and I can't expect that to be private. So wh- where does a text message fall? Right? I think if I'm, I'm talking on the phone with somebody, right, the old style, the old way of talking on the phone, there would be some reasonable expectation of, of privacy. But a text message is something... But a lot more tangible, right? Because there's a recording of it. I send it to somebody, it's now on their phone. Maybe I don't know what they're going to do with it. But of course, that also raises the question, well, what about when it comes to police or, say, border guards? Uh, can they ask to see it? Or is it something where, look, no, there's some expectation of privacy. If you want to see it, you need to go demonstrate to a judge that you need to see it and, you know, come back with a warrant. So a major ruling today from the Supreme Court of Canada in uh, overturning the firearms conviction of a Toronto man, the court ruled that text messages people send should remain private uh, because much of the basis for the charge came from some of the messages that, that were found on the mobile phone of this guy's alleged accomplice. Now, obviously, there are going to be different circumstances in different cases, but it's a pretty significant ruling. And, and not just for people who may, be, may find themselves in trouble with the law either. Uh, joining us for some thoughts on the implications of all of this, Michael Geis joins us, Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa. Uh, more at michaelgeis.ca. Dr. Geis, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. So how, how significant is this, potentially? Oh, I think it's a big case. It's, it's one that certainly the privacy community, I think the law enforcement community as well, has been looking to for a long time. And in part, it reflects, I think, a growing body of jurisprudence from the Supreme Court of Canada that really says we've got to find ways to ensure that our privacy laws and, and the standards we approach with respect to search keep pace with changing technologies. And I think the courts really tried to do that in saying that in some circumstances you have a reasonable expectation of privacy in text messages, even when they've been received by, by another party. But does that mean that if, if I text somebody uh, something, something personal or important, and they're asked to show that text, is it, is it their decision to make or is it ultimately my decision to make? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, the court would say that, that a lot of these are, of course, context and fact-specific. So, you know, the, the given circumstances will, I think, dictate under the particular, in, in the particular case whether or not you've got a reasonable expectation of privacy or not. But, you know, fundamentally what the court is saying, to bring back to, to the way you opened this segment, the, the notion that somehow 
a private conversation on in, in a phone call would be private, but the same content would not be private if we sent it via text. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense given the way that communication's evolving. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, so many people turn now to text for its convenience and the way it works so well for people simply on the move by going back and forth. And the idea that you'd surrender your privacy in those circumstances, but not if you took the time to actually use that same device but actually make a phone call instead, from my perspective, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So in, in this context, though, we're talking about the conversation itself. If I sent an attachment via text, that, that might be a different matter entirely. Well, again, I think it'll, a lot of it will come down to context in terms of what you know what's there. What the what the court's trying to say, and what, one of the things that they had to take a look at is whether or not there was a reasonable expectation of privacy when the person was sending it. And there, you had what was clearly designed to be private conversations. And it's worth noting that. The, the, the reason that they were even trying to access these text messages on the accomplice's phone is that the warrant that they had for this particular person's phone was invalid. So they didn't have a good warrant to be able to gain the messages off that individual's phone. And they said, well, hey, we've got this other phone. We can try to access the messages that way. And that kind of end around of sort of saying, you know what, I can't actually get at the content I'm looking for directly on your device, but there may be others that have access to it, and that's who I'm going to target. I think it'll resonate for a lot of people because, of course, it goes beyond even just the basic messaging back and forth. Think of all the different companies that are out there, internet companies and telecom companies that that we may interact with who who may have copies along the way of some of that information and might prove to be ripe targets to gain access, whereas the law might, at least in my own home, provide a higher level of protection. Well, and and these are such big issues uh, that we didn't have to deal with uh, 30 years ago, because unless you had an approved wiretap ahead of time to record a phone conversation, a conversation would just, uh, it would evaporate. It wouldn't exist uh, after it was done. We now have permanent records of conversations that we carry around with us, that uh, companies have copies of. So it, it creates all kinds of new legal challenges, doesn't it? Oh, it absolutely. In fact, one of the judges in a concurring decision um, stated that digital communication inherently limits the control we have over the messages we send, as it inevitably creates a record that is beyond our control. And I think that really gets to the heart of it. I mean, the the reality is for all the convenience that this provides, and of course it does that uh, and many more things, it also creates all sorts of records. And that has real privacy implications. And what the Supreme Court of Canada was trying to do today was to say that, that it ought not to be the case that all of that kind of communications becomes a no-privacy zone, that there still may be circumstances, even where you may have lost some amount of control, because some loss of control seems to be inevitable when you engage in electronic communication. But even under those circumstances, there still may be a a reasonable expectation of privacy. So this may apply to email, but, but not necessarily. I think it certainly can apply to email, it can apply to text, it can apply to uh, the range of digital communication. In fact, that's, that's, I think, a core part of what the court is trying to say here. They don't want to limit privacy rights to a particular technology. I think their view is that the the appropriate boundaries under the charter of search, the appropriate boundaries of of when we say you have a reasonable expectation of privacy, can and, in fact, must adapt to uh, changing technologies. And it, it ought not to be the case that the kind of privacy rights that you have become lost just because you use a particular kind of technology. Well, and yeah, because it's not, it's not just going to be in criminal matters where we think maybe some bad guy texted 
you know, some confession to a friend. Uh, it could be as simple as, well, you know, I'm not sure where this teenager is. This teenager's been missing for, for a day. Did this teenager send any text to a friend? So in situations where, you know, we can demonstrate a need for a more pressing concern to override these privacy concerns, th- this, this ruling doesn't have to tie our hands in any way. No, that's that's right. I mean, it's you know, it's obviously specific as as always to the, to this individual case. But I think certainly in criminal matters and police investigations, there's there's quite an expect. I think there's a real likelihood that this is going to have an impact in terms of what law enforcement uh, feels they need to be able to obtain in order to be to be able to access certain kinds of information. And I think what the court has been trying to do in this case and in the earlier Spencer case that you may recall involved whether or not subscriber internet subscribers have a reasonable expectation on basic subscriber data is to, I think, send a broader message to the, to the Canadian public, to whether businesses or, or individual users, that really signals that the law can ad- adapt to this environment. And indeed, the court is, I think, really trying to take a strong stand here in, in saying that there is still, under the appropriate circumstances, privacy, even in a technology that sometimes feels like it has the hallmarks of one where there isn't much. Well, are we fighting against the tide here that uh, it's one thing for the Supreme Court to kind of declare a principle of privacy, but it just feels as though we're we're constantly struggling to stay on top of a, a world where privacy just seems to be eroding all over the place? Well, there's no question it's, uh, that represents a challenge, certainly for individual Internet users who oftentimes are unaware that their information is being collected and the way it might be used, and I think oftentimes even unaware in terms of the way it could be accessed after the fact, including in these kinds of instances by law enforcement. Um, but what we've got the court doing now is establishing some of those ground rules and making it clear that they believe that under the law as it stands today, interpreting it, of course, through the charter, that there is still a reasonable expectation of privacy privacy. And so it, you're right, it, it, is, it is not easy. It is in many ways a pretty tough fight on, on some of these issues, but uh, privacy isn't lost, at least not yet. Well, that's a good point. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. Folks can read more more analysis of this ruling uh, at michaelgeist.ca. Appreciate the insight. Thanks for making some time for us here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. Michael Geist, Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa, michaelgeist.ca, where he writes about these matters and has a, a more thorough kind of overview. Uh, of this case. But this is kind of a takeaway here that the court said, or the majority said, a person does not lose control of information for the purpose of Section 8 simply because another person possesses it or can even access it. So just because you've texted somebody something doesn't mean that they're now in control of that, that information. So that, that's significant in a lot of ways. 974-8255 is our number. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.